Welcome to the Holy Soup Podcast, where the church's status quo and sacred cows get rounded up, simmered down, and dished out. And now, here's your chief cook, author, innovator, filmmaker, and founder of Group Publishing, Tom Schultz. Welcome to the Holy Soup Podcast. Good to have you along today. Well, you know, here at, here at Holy Soap, we talk a lot about the changing dynamics in the American church. Uh, particularly, we've touched on things like declining membership and attendance nationally and shrinking budgets, churches closing their doors, uh, how the church will look in another 10 or 20 years, and questions like, well, who will, who will be leading these churches in the future? We're going to dig into all of these things uh, today on Holy Soup, and our guest is Chris Folmsby. He's the Director of Discipleship at the Church of the Resurrection in the Kansas City area, one of the nation's largest churches, and he's the author of more than a dozen books on topics such as spiritual formation, practical theology, and effective models of ministry. And Chris is also the founder and managing director of something called Burlap, and we'll get into that uh, as we talk with him. It's a ministry designed to help churches reach and engage millennials. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Looking uh, forward to it. Great to have you aboard. You know, you're you're in an exceptional situation. You're actually in a church that is uh, that is not shrinking. I, I believe you're still reporting year over year growth. Is that right? Yeah, it is. We're growing in various ways, either by multiplying campuses or even our online uh, participation is growing, and even our physical church attendance is growing. Ah, That's great. That's great. So you're part of the 20% of the churches in America that are actually reporting growth. 80% are, however, unfortunately, are reporting that uh, they are stuck or in decline. And I'm wondering, in, in your situation of uh, seeing good things happening around you in your church, have you also kept an eye on what's happening in the majority of the churches? And if so, what do you see? Yeah, that's a great question, and I certainly have kept our eye. We're In fact, this week we'll be hosting about 2,000 pastors and church leaders on our campus mm. for our annual Leadership Institute. And so this is an opportunity for us to engage with people who, to use uh, your words from earlier, may feel just a bit stuck or their church is in decline. There's a narrative or, or a tone of, of something's not right here. And mm-hmm. so we're going to spend about a week with them just blessing them and encouraging them. But yeah, the opportunity uh, to help churches in that, that space is, is there. And it's very uh, real to me and what I do through uh, Burlap. But I'm finding that most of the churches I'm interacting with are experiencing that. So you're 80, 20 uh, percentage of rule there just spoken about a minute ago is, is right on and what I'm finding is the biggest issue it, lately has been the the conversations around reaching and engaging millennials and mm. then of course uh, Gen Z as well now as that kind of comes on to the scene and is making uh, a quick a quick uh, uh, emergence to the top of people's priority list so most people are trying to figure out what are we going to do here you know yeah. we can't pay our bills our budget's shrinking um, we're not experiencing growth uh, of any kind. Um, there's a tone of just that this uh, um, sheer, what I would call, just almost at times fear and panic. Hmm. And, of course, uh, when the opportunity is, is there to help people remember that the kingdom of God is not in trouble and that we do this knowing that uh, this, the end of the story is already told to us, it's a, it's a helpful way to, to sort of bring people back to center and guide them in and help encourage them and inspire mm. them in what they do every day to reach those uh, generations. Yeah. 
Well, as, as you mentioned, part of the issue is generational. Uh, people in the millennial generation, those well, roughly ages 18 to 35 or so, are, are turning away from the church in record numbers. Since you've studied this, this generation and uh, how they intersect with the church, why is that? What, what's different about this generation in terms of their affection or disaffection with the church? Yeah, the thing that comes to the top of my mind, and I've done a little bit of writing on this and continue to do so, is just a simple word, uh, one word, transcendence. I think there's a huge miss in the church in North America in particular where we are kind of a little, I I forget who said this, it's not my phrase, but we feel, the church feels like culture has stolen our awe, A-W-E, our Hmm. awe, and that somehow there is this um, uh, idea that there's this group of people who are spiritual but not religious. And it comes down to me to this idea of awe and transcendence, that millennials are seeking to go beyond the laws of the universe, behind that everyday comprehension. They want to do this in their ordinary life, but they want to experience the supernatural. And they don't find it in the church. Uh, They largely are disengaged due to the fact that leadership is pointing to different directions, uh, the narrative the churches are telling. I mean, who wants to go to a church where the narrative is in decline? Hmm. And so you, you, know, you have this, this negative tone, and that we're inviting people into this negative tone. Nobody wants to engage that. It doesn't matter what the generation is. And so in the everyday practical kinds of way, I think one of the biggest things that transcendence comes down to in experiencing that in faith communities is trust, and trust, of course, is uh, built around character and competency. And so there's two problems. One is I'm not sure that I trust this uh, person or these people, Uh, and then the other is I'm not sure that they can lead us out of what we're experiencing in everyday life or into something better. And so I think largely millennials are like, well, we can do this ourselves. We uh, We can make the world a better place. Obviously, common good is a huge phrase used more and more all the time and uh, they don't need the church to experience that of course when we the church talk about common good we might use words like the kingdom of god Uh, and so translating for that that to millennials and and to gen z is going to be hugely important as we move through the next couple of uh decades but i do really feel like transcendence is one of the keys and Mm. if the church isn't providing that sense of awe that sense of, of, of fun engagement towards going beyond the ordinary into the supernatural. And that's not stuff that churches can manufacture. In fact, when you try to make it up, it's sniffed out even uh, sooner than any of us would like. But the reality is when we are directed by the Holy Spirit, we're living into the movements of the Holy Spirit, into what we might call God's activity in the world today, uh, I think we can at least uh, give opportunities and create environments to experience that transcendence. It's you not know, the only issue, but it's a big one. Yeah. Well, you mentioned this, this sense of awe that millennials feel is missing from the church today. And I can hear uh, the gatekeepers in the church right now saying, uh, well, that, but isn't that what we're all about? That, that what's, what we do is uh, encompass and, and embrace this whole sense of awe through uh, who we are, through what we do, especially on the Sunday morning experience, that the whole thing is designed around a sense of awe, that we, we have uh, 
uh, a worship setting and a worship experience, including uh, music that uh, uh, I, I think many of them would say, darn it, we, we built this thing to appeal to millennials. The, the music that we use today is, is all tuned, and now you're telling us that uh, we're, not, we're not manufacturing the sense of awe that they're looking for? What, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's what we hear. And uh, when we're out and about doing our burlap, burlap workshops and things, that's one of the things that we hear commonly. I just was with a church on the north side of Kansas City uh, who actually a couple of the uh, people, a part of that congregation, got a little bit upset saying, we've worked our whole life for this, creating these environments. I think the challenge is that millennials aren't typically going to wander into the place where we hold the awe where we sort of possess, if you will, or where we try to quote-unquote manufacture or what we like to say is create opportunities where it can exist. And so what that requires is not unlike uh, taking our faith into other parts of the world to other generations, it means that this glory, this, this awe, this sense of uh, the supernatural is going to have to be given through the ordinary relationships we have with people which I don't think we would have said is any different than any of the generations gone by. This is the best way to uh, pass on the faith or to declare our faith or to be a quote-unquote witness or storyteller, Acts 1-8 style. So I think that's a huge piece. Is like maybe what's taken place is we've spent too much time thinking about what happens in this space and not realizing uh, or maybe living to the commitment that the church is a people, not a building. And these are not new phrases, these are not new ideas, but the way we understand culture and the way that we embrace the changes happening in culture allows us to take these, what are old ideas, in new ways into uh, the communities in which millennials live. And I think a big part of that is, as we discover from some of our research, that churches are trying to reach out to millennials uh, and doing so not even aware of the different segments of millennials and the different kinds of thinking, the, what we call the first lens. What's the first lens in which this particular group of millennials may view the world? And I think that's a key piece, too. There's just a general misunderstanding or maybe even a broad-stroke mentality of these millennials and how we reach them and what they're like when really there's all kinds of different ways to think about them. We talk in terms of up-and-comers and global givers and nostalgics and trendsetters and these different categories. Well, if you're messaging or you're trying to reach out as a church to share this quote-unquote awe with this generation and you're doing so in a way that doesn't even captivate or compel the audience around you because you don't fully understand them, you're going to find that disconnect. Hmm. And I think those are some of the pieces that we can, we can uh, continue to work together as the church to help each other figure out. Well, when it's, when it's done well, and uh, again, returning to this idea of awe, uh, what does that look like? What what works? What what uh, give us a picture of uh, of how that actually looks when it it touches the millennial right down to their soul? Yeah, that's a that's a, a great way to go about even thinking about how we might try to create opportunities or environments for that to happen. If we ourselves can't recognize it or can't see it, then what does, uh, then how would we lead people towards that? I think, you know, you can throw a bunch of buzzwords out here. You can talk about authenticity or you could talk about, you know, community. 
Um, but really what I think it boils down to, and those words are super important and a part of it, is this uh, a commonness or a shared life that, that you start to begin to see this, this common mission. And what we're finding at Church of the Resurrection on a very practical, everyday level is inviting people into this mission that God is restoring the world towards its intended wholeness. And this sense of awe or transcendence is something that I can see outside of my ordinary, quote-unquote, spiritual and or religious experiences, and I find those experiences in my everyday life, whether that be a justice initiative, whether that just be uh, serving somebody who works in the workstation down down the uh, floor from me, whatever that might be. I think we see the awe and we see the transcendence emerge, and people become captivated when we stay true, stay faithful to God's mission in the world, and inviting people into that. I think that's a key, uh, a key piece. You know, we've done some research with millennials and found that regardless of the segment, there's three common threads that emerge out of the segmentation studies that we do with congregations. And the three common uh, tre- threads, if you will, are uh, risk and adventure, right? So this idea of mission, mm. this idea of uh, this uh, common understanding of just being a part of something, like we've said for decades, that's, that's bigger than myself. I think the common good is a piece of that, this global cause this global issues that we're facing and this opportunity that we have to uh, change the world and to think we can at least change the world. And then the third thing is, again, nothing out of the ordinary of other generations, but maybe how we understand it or approach it would be different, and that's meaning and purpose. And to me, that sounds a lot like the mission of God, those three things. Mm-hmm. And so I think when that you see that working, quote-unquote, to use your question, or to use your uh, yeah question, I think it those three things I think will be in play. You'll have sort of a piece of adventure to it, this experience mentality. You'll see that it works for the good of all if A and B has it and C should have have it too. And then meaning and purpose and connecting these three things is the great opportunity that we have with the gospel uh, in today's context. You know, you're describing something that uh, is uh, you use the word experience and. I think of of um, millennials wanting to participate, wanting to be involved in the process, and I hear that coming out in, in what you're talking about. And I'm also hearing you mention the whole relational aspect of uh, of uh, seeing even awe come through in relationships. But you're you're describing something that is quite different from at least the contemporary church experience that uh, people know today, which has, uh, for all intents and purposes, become more of a spectator time where people are expected to come in, sit and be quiet and watch uh, the professionals. That's very different from what what I hear you saying. So my question for you is, uh, will the church as we know it uh, survive as the older generations die off and these millennials who and the, the generation after them are looking for something that's quite different, will the box we've built fit and survive uh, the, the new day? Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I think there's obviously room for debate in that, and people are doing that probably as you and I speak. There's somewhere there's someone having conversations about quote-unquote, the survival of the church. And I don't you know, want to catch some fear or panic or sense of urgency that's 
fake or uh, disingenuous in any way, but I do really think that the box, quote-unquote, to use your analogy, will look very, very different Mm. over the next few uh, decades. And I think some of that has to just do with the fact uh, that uh, we are experiencing that, and that once we give into that, it will allow us to have some creative freedom and some collaborative uh, connection with millennials, with the Gen Z, to discover, well, what is the church look like? So if you'd ask me if the church was to go away, I'd say, no, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. The church is a people, and I mm-hmm. firmly believe that the kingdom of God is not in trouble, and mm-hmm. as long as we're being faithful to that. But if you said, the, as you did, the way it looks, yeah, I think things are going to look very different. I think you're going to find um, homilies or sermons are going to look different. I think you're going to see the way that people are asking and inviting people to engage in missional cause in the community is going to be different. I think you're going to continue to find that dialogue is a key piece. To, um, you know, I think you're going to see, particularly with Gen Z, um, where millennials, they say, might be now-focused, Gen Z is more future-focused. Mm. And so they're thinking out ahead. And where millennials are much more, quote-unquote, digital, Gen Z is much more... Uh, cloud-oriented, and what are the differences there, and how are they thinking about church? What will it look like for my 13-year-old son 10, 20 years from now? Probably very, very different. Mm. So I'm not freaked out by the fact that I would say it wouldn't survive. In fact, I think it's a good thing. I think we can experience a sense of uh, creative change, which is, is a healthy thing for us as a church to engage culture. So yeah, I don't, I don't think it's going to look like it. I don't necessarily have a picture of what it is. I obviously feel the values that we see in millennials and Gen Z is going to emerge and be the thing that causes the change and the new consistency, the new normal, if you will, one day. But I don't think it's a bad thing or that we should be even freaked out about mm-hmm. it. Uh, I do think it's going to be challenging. It's definitely not going to be easy. It's going to require that we truly uh, go back, I think, or maybe move forward toward a sense of trust that we've never quite had before as it relates to taking things off of our own gift sets and skill sets and saying, well, God, what are you doing here, and Mm. how can we be used uh, best in this uh, context Mm. to reach people? Yeah, it's an interesting way to think about it. And it's interesting to think about, well, who who will be leading the church of tomorrow? Who who will be in charge? Many seminaries and Bible colleges today are struggling. Their enrollments are down, budgets are cut, fewer people are, are wanting to study to enter ministry as we know it. What, what does this mean as, as uh, you take a look at the funnel that uh, we've come to know to bring people into leadership and, and launch them into professional ministry? That's changing. What, what does that mean? Absolutely. Yeah, we have a seminary on our campus, actually, and uh, we're experiencing that as we watch that, just the shrinking of enrollments and things like that. I was just last week talking with a a person from a seminary out in Dallas area who was saying they have four students in a class that's actually required for ordination. Wow. Whereas a decade ago that classroom would have been full because it was required and they have to figure out, you know, where how do we put uh, make extra room for these folks. So... It's quite a challenge. I think one of the things that we're going to see and one of the things that we're going to have to really pay close attention to is this whole idea of uh, what some refer to as bivocational. I might refer to as co-vocational. 
I think for some, by indicates this separation where co brings together or this coupling. Hmm. And I think we're going to really be looking at this co-vocational emergence of church leadership, uh, professionals, if you will, paid clergy that uh, may or uh, may not have multiple things going on. And I think we're seeing this with millennials even today, and I think we're going to even see more of it with Gen Z. Obviously, if you, you know people who are doing any reading on millennials know that there is a large percentage of millennials who would say that they have multiple priorities in their life. We call it a second street, right? So they have this main street, this job, if you will, and mm-hmm. then they have this second street, this other thing that is quite important to them. And so what's more important to them than their salary for their main street is their flexibility for main street so they can be a part of second street. And this is what's going to be the kinds of impetus for the change in how we educate, train leaders, raise up leaders even for church leadership. And I think those are the things we're going to have to pay careful attention to as it relates to sort of this, you know, uh, idea of becoming more co-vocational in our leadership. And that's, like, hard for me to even grasp. I've been in professional ministry, quote-unquote, my whole adult life. Uh, I get paid to do what I do. Now it's my calling. It's not a job, but mm-hmm. it's still something that I get paid to do. And to have to think about it in new ways is challenging. I often, my son even asked me the other day, Dad, if you were would you do this if you had to work at Starbucks? Because I was telling him about a church planner that I know who is doing like three jobs in order to plan a church, and it's not because the church can't fund him. It's because he finds the multiple environments create greater opportunity for relationship Mm. so that he can grow the church. And whereas the church that's sort of launching him out there has plenty of funds to pay him. So there's a conscious effort to be co-vocational to do multiple things in order that there might create a broader uh, and yet deeper sense of relationships with people. So it's going to be interesting Mm. to see how it all emerges, but I think that's a key piece that we're going to have to be thinking about is the difference between bivocational, which generally speaking, maybe this isn't fair, but generally speaking is, well, I, I do this job so that I can also do this church thing, and that's what pays me, whereas co-vocational might be maybe a little bit more of, I actually believe that being in multiple environments is best for the church. And I'm even though the church could afford me, or even if it, if it can, uh, I'm going to do these other things and, and create a broader sense, deeper sense of relationship. As you see this co-vocational trend emerge, uh, what will the makeup and ministry of uh, a church be and how and how will that change when it no longer employs full-time staff yeah i mean i don't i mean i we'll see right i mean it i guess in my brain i'm thinking there'll be a lot more uh collective and and collaborative work that's done uh to lead forward i think there's going to have to be some i guess a general change in what and defining what we mean by leadership uh leadership you know, one of the things that I've done is, is learn leadership from the Kansas Leadership Center, and they say that leadership is an activity. Anybody can do it, and some people just choose to follow. But I think one of the things that we'll have to do, those of us who are in current positions of leadership, is start empowering more and in different ways, giving people an opportunity to 
to to lead that we would normally say, well, you know, since I get paid to do this, mm. I'll cover this, and I'll need you to come in and backfill. And I think we're going to have to reverse that. I think we're going to have to look for people that we can serve to put out there in front of us in order that we uh, might be able to continue to, um, you know, be faithful to God's kingdom work. And that's a subtle, it could be, I suppose, a subtle difference, but I think in the empowering of uh, millennials and Gen Z is a, a huge piece of that, which is why we're so, um, you know, just passionate as, as Burlap to get out there and to help churches understand the generational impacts that we're, we're uh, seeing and then how, what's our response to that. And I think one of those is just going to have to be the way we may redefine leadership. Mm. That's fascinating to think about. Well, for our listeners, uh, Chris will be speaking at uh, the upcoming Future of the Church Summit in Colorado, and you can find out more information about that at thefutureofthechurch.com, thefutureofthechurch.com. And Chris, how can people find out more about your work? Well, yeah, just go to thinkburlap.com, thinkburlap.com. We uh, will be doing four things uh, over the next uh, couple of years. If we can continue in the same way we have, we'll continue to do research We'll continue to train leaders. We'll be developing products and resources as we have, and we're going to be consulting as we are able to help churches. So those four things uh, are our primary ways of connecting with churches in both, uh, you know, very relational ways and as well as uh, through the digital space. So thinkburlap.com, and they can go on and check it out and sniff around, read some of our articles, see some of our research, and then uh, contact us straight from that, that portal. Good stuff. Thanks, Chris. And thank you, listeners, for joining us uh, today. As always, uh, leave your comments and uh, your creative thoughts at holysoup.com. And we'll see you next time on the Holy Soup Podcast.